Welcome to Red Hill Stories, conversations about faith, life, and Jesus. I'm your host, Lyle Walker. Today with me is Brittany Seacrest. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So uh, this is actually our kickoff of season two. I didn't even think I was going to do seasons, but here we are. Like a no, show. Like a, it's like it's a, a show. show. It's a show. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. The goal of this, as I've said many times, um, is like on Sunday mornings, right? So we come in and we're starting to grow as a church a little bit. And you come in and we do those classic like, hey, how was your weekend? Or how was your week? Yeah, the small talk. The small talk. And the goal of, of this was has, has been a couple of things. One, I want to um, magnify Jesus in our mm-hmm. lives. But also it was a way that, you know, people can get to know other folks just a little bit better um, and find out a little on a deeper level who we are. So that when we're, you know, uh, just in the hallway, if somebody's listened to my story or yours, whoever it is, you know a little bit more and we can maybe break through mm-hmm. that that awkwardness right. of small talk. So um, thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, it's a privilege. Thank you for kicking off season two. <laughs> um so yeah so if this is your first time listening to red hill stories a couple things you can do uh you can check us out on itunes spotify we download these or we put these up on our website as well uh, we do have season one so you can go back and check out all those episodes and we'll have probably another seven or eight for this year going through the, through the end of the year so um yeah that's enough about me so Brittany. <laughs> I always like to start out these conversations with an icebreaker. Uh, funny story, funny antidote about you. Um, so tell us something that is some like a funny thing about you or something that nobody else knows or very few people know. Um, so the very few people know how deathly afraid of heights I am. <laughs> um, bridges uh, that move. Mm. Um water slide lines Mm. that um, you have to walk up and stand on the stairs with no, when it doesn't feel stable, Mm. um, I don't like it. Mm. I'm very, very afraid. I'm clinging to the sides, but I love the water slide. You love this. also the problem. Mm. So there's like a, like a blessing and a curse there. Yes, for sure. Do you like flying? Uh, yeah, I'm good with flying. So flying doesn't freak you out at all. No, it's the, I think it's because we're constantly moving. Mm. It's the whole waiting period to get to Mm. the thing. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bridge. If you go up in Northeast Georgia, there's the staircase that you have. It's like, I don't know what they call it. I can't remember. We did it. We did it, um, a couple of Thanksgiving ago and there's a bridge that takes you from one gorge to another. And I hate, I hate heights as well. And this thing is like for real going a couple inches left Mm-mm. and right. And my sons are my son and my kids are just like jumping around having a good time. Oh gosh, I'm, no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. How fast can I get across this thing? Yep. I'd be the one to make sure if I even went across it that no one else was on it at the very same time because people like to mess with me and it's not okay. No, no, this is not. This is not. This is a legit. It's not phobia. a time to play. Yeah. Like anxiety. <laughs> yes, like the very whole much thing? so. Like the, okay. Oh yeah. Would would like. Like blindfolding you and just walking you across, would that help? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could take the step to do really? it. Really? So yeah, picking, it's, it's a struggle. Well, just pick you up, put you on somebody's back, and just walk you yeah, across. Yeah, that just, might be the better option. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> blindfolded. <laughs> blindfolded, right. What about, because then your face would be straight down, and that's probably even worse. Oh, yeah. Um, what about uh, like roller coasters and things like that? Roller coasters are good. Roller coasters Yeah, are because good. you're moving. Right. and. The thought of them at first, the anticipation, I think, is probably right. the most scary. But when you're doing it, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. once you get into the process, it's fine. Right. We were uh, we were talking before this, and I said, uh, like, like rides like, say, um, what's the one at Disney? The Tower of Terror. The Tower of Terror. Yeah. Mm-mm. Nope. The, Never the up and down. That's no. my, mm-mm. I don't like, I don't like that feeling of, like, it's one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Roller coaster, that anticipation, yeah. you know, you're just waiting for the big drop. That's fine. But that like, hey, we're just going to open a door, then drop you real fast. Yeah. And then we're probably going to do it again. Yes. Up no. and down. No, I don't <laughs> understand. I don't get those people. And people who skydive. That's not fun for any yeah. reason ever. I don't, I don't know why you jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Yep. You know, I don't, I don't feel like, I mean, God didn't give us wings. <laughs> so. No, <laughs> I don't think it's our right. will, his will for our lives at right, all right. to and, go skydiving. And gravity is a thing and it, 
mm-hmm. takes you to the ground no matter what, yep. whether you have a parachute or not. So right. I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't do parachuting. I have no no desire. It's not on a bucket list. Nope. If I was like two months from dying, I, there's so many other things that I'd rather see than the earth at however many feet yeah. falling at I'm absolutely speed. with you. Okay. Well, then we are kindred spirits with our fear of, of yeah. heights and, and, and parachuting. I get that. So... Okay. All right. Well, um, Brittany, I think let's, I think it's time. Um, okay. For those of you who, again, if this is your your first or second time, or however many times you listen to Red Hills, what we like to do is just we like to shine a bright light of Jesus on our lives, and we do that by telling our testimony. Um, and so uh, our our goal in this is again is not to uh, make this about us. Uh, our lives, you know, we've been through things, all of us. And what we like to do as Christians is say, okay, God brought me through these things and, and, and this is who I am on the other side. And this is what Jesus did in my life. And so that's the goal in this. Again, it's not to, to just talk about our lives in a way that just makes us sound um, cool or interesting or anything like that. It's just to talk about who we are and then see how Jesus himself and his life changed us. With that, Brittany, uh, what is your story? Well, um, kind of what you mentioned about, you know, our lives, um, doing our testimony, how it shines a bright light on Jesus. I even just looking at this story as the summary that we've written down and uh, telling my story, um, just seeing the thread of how he has pursued me my whole life. Um, and so starting out from, you know, what my family life was like. Um, I was the oldest. I had two younger sisters. Um, my parents were together. Um, we grew up in a nice area in Ackworth, Georgia. Um, my, we went to church and, um, I was involved in Awana's, um, and what is it? What is that? Awana's. I've never heard of that before. I don't even know the acronym, okay. acronym okay. Okay. for okay. it, but That's it's fine. like um, Bible club, Bible drill for kids. Okay. Oh, okay. Essentially, okay. you have a vest and like you get these <laughs> little patches for all the verses. It's sort of like the church version of Boy Scout, wow. Girl Scout. Okay. Pretty right. interesting. Okay. I don't know if that's a dead thing now, but Awanas. I'm gonna have to look. Yeah, that up later. you should. Okay. All right. But um, maybe that should have been the thing about you earlier that nobody knew about. Oh <laughs> man! So there's another one, <laughs> an interesting thing about me. But um, yeah, I grew up, you know, learning scripture and familiar with the Bible and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, didn't really know what that meant, you know. I mean, I knew what it meant, but. How, how to apply that as a child, right, right. you know, not really sure. But, you know, the environment was there. Um, my grandparents were, um, you know, very involved in church. And I would say so probably more than my parents. And I think sometimes that just becomes kind of a generational thing. You know, we go to church because that's just what we do. And um, as I got older, I did kind of start to see that, um, you know, we go to church, but it's not really fleshed out in our lives. And so I'll get to more of that later. But, um, my dad, he was, um, very, you know, very strict. He was very, um, he, he worked, um, he provided, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, he was an ex Marine. So, um, I got the effects of that. (laughs) Yeah. Rules and, you know, um, that kind of thing, which, are good. We need rules. Boundaries are not and terrible. Boundaries. That's right. <laughs> um, but but on the other hand, my mom uh, was pretty permissive. And as I got a little bit older, I started um, seeing her um, drinking and kind of um, there was obvious marital issues now looking back. Um, and then right before they got divorced, she started kind of confiding in me about my dad and um, not necessarily trying to team me up on her team, but that's sort of what happened. And, you know, of course I didn't know what to say. I mean, I was almost in sixth grade. So like what kind of advice could a kid give about that? Like, yeah, let's leave dad. Like I, 
you know. I'm okay with this. Right. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, thinking back now, um, it kind of messed up what God intended for family. So, therefore, my dad wasn't there, and it kind of gave me this um, – this room to be permissive in my own life, like Mm. allowed to do things um, because I didn't have that sternness. And so after the divorce, you ended up being prominently with your mother. Yeah. So we, uh, my parents got divorced. Me and my sisters moved with my mom to an apartment. I went to a different school. Um, That was in sixth grade. Um, Well, sixth to seventh is when I shifted schools. And then, um, I just kind of, at that point, I kind of did my own thing, you know. Um, my mom worked a lot, so there was no other um, supervision besides, like, her. She worked from home, so she was there, but she was busy. Mm. Um, and then, of course, my dad wasn't there to kind of set the standard as far as rules and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, meanwhile, I was still in and out of church. We didn't go to church as much, uh, after they got divorced. Um, but I did like to go, you know, I, I, it was a comfortable environment. Mm -hmm. So I sought that out still. Um, and I had some, you know, encounters with God, I guess, from what I understood as a young girl. Mm -hmm. Um, just remember moments of, you know, emotion overly emotional like feeling Mm. very convicted over just the choices that I was making in my life wanting to do better but not knowing quite how and so that's really all I could articulate from those experiences so it was more like you felt guilt for sin or you felt you know some some something inside of you that was convicting you of something that you were doing but did you ever have like salvation moment that we would call like at that age? Well, I did accept Christ when I was 11. Um, I got baptized actually with my dad in the same church that Mm -hmm. I was doing the Iwanas thing at. Um, what I really understood about that at that time, I don't know. And I've kind of battled with that as I've, Mm -hmm. as I got older, but nonetheless, looking back and even as we talk through this, my story today, like God has been pursuing me Mm -hmm. and, um, it's it's just very evident the way that he's worked in my life and so and of course like the conviction over sin the way i started living my life later um i mean it it was there for sure i just became stuck because i got into this pattern so um of course as a teenager church became more social Mm -hmm. and it wasn't on the top of my priority list as much anymore um in high school, um, ninth grade, that's when I started drinking, you know, just experimenting with drinking, sneaking out of the house, just different little things like that, that I thought was just fun. Mm -hmm. And again, my dad wasn't around like, so, um, I mean, do you think he'd been around would have stopped you from doing those things? Um, I, I can't really say, I don't know, but I guess I just, because my mom was so permissive, I just Mm -hmm. thought I could get away with things. And my dad, I was I mean, to be honest, kind of scared, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ex-Marine, yeah, right. Yeah, I get it. So, um, so that's when I started, um, kind of dabbling with, you know, any kind of drugs or alcohol, um, very, you know, interested in, in boys at this age, um, lost my virginity in ninth grade, um, and just started seeking out things that, um, where I felt, uh, included or like a part of something. Um, and I was unfortunately easily influenced. Um, you know, we, you're just at that age where you're just trying to figure out where you fit in. You're, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be a skater or, right. you know, yeah. like how we do. Typical ninth grade. Yeah. Tenth grade. You know, trying to figure life out. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and then, the my mom you know also kind of started this habit or pattern herself where you know she struggled with with men especially after my dad and her got divorced um and so you know she'd be on dates or she'd be out doing this and it was kind of like her little rebellion after my parents divorced and so i took advantage of that and i had friends over and i you know did this or that you know and so uh, i think 
I ultimately felt abandoned by like, like, because she wasn't there, she was already working a lot. She was there, but not there. And then she would go out, you know, and as a mom and, and having been a single mom now, I get those feelings, but that's what I was left with was feeling kind of rejected and, you know, abandoned. So I just did my own thing. Um, when we're left up to our own devices, I mean, make our own decisions at night. Yeah. What what age is that? Like what? 15, 15? 14. Yeah. That's probably not the best time to be just left to make your own choices based on whatever you may think is right right or wrong. Yeah. Especially when you're being introduced to all these other, (laughs) you know, boys and real life, more real life stuff. So, um, on the other hand, in school, I was, um, I loved school. Mm -hmm. I did well in school. Um, I played soccer and I, I was pretty good at soccer and, um, played for our high school. Um, but you know, unfortunately I could, I didn't continue to pursue that because I became involved with the other group of people, mm-hmm. not really, you know, um, those more like kids. partiers. Yeah. Those, those kids, those kids, we all know those kids. <laughs> those kids. <We> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I started taking Xanax, um, in 10th grade and drinking, which, um, just, I don't know. It was just this perpetual graduation of different, um, substances and it was all fun and games, you know, mm-hmm. in high yeah, school. Right. Um, but then, uh, well in ninth grade I did meet, um, my son's father, Travis. Um, we, I totally fell for him, whatever that means when you're in ninth grade. Um, cause I don't necessarily know that I would say that I fell in love with him. I think the idea of, of all that, but anyways, um, but he got in some trouble, went to prison. Uh, we didn't talk for a number, number of years and, um, we reconnected when I was a senior in high school. Um, so he was already kind of a bad boy. I was already kind of making not wise choices in terms of, you know, partying and stuff like that. And, um, when we reconnected, um, it, it, it only perpetuated the direction that I was going, you know? Um, so after, um, we reconnected, um, I did start skipping school more. I was a senior, um, about to graduate, about to graduate, excuse me. (laughs) Um, and I, um, at that time had started taking pain pills. Um, for what reason? I don't really even know. I was not in pain. I'm not, I don't have the story where a lot of kids, you know, if there's an injury in, in, uh, in sports where they need pain medicine or there's a surgery or something like that, that unfortunately is not my story. Um, I just did them to do Mm. them and whether it was emotional pain or, I mean, it was definitely subconscious, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, but I liked the feelings and effects of being numbed out and, um, the use of those pain pills, I then became physically dependent on them. And, um, there was a, a time that we could not find any, uh, they were, none around and Atlanta downtown Atlanta was only about 25 30 minutes away Hmm. from where we were uh where we lived and so um I was hanging out with older people uh Travis and his friends and they knew where to get some heroin downtown Atlanta I was totally freaked out by the idea because I never I told myself I would never do that I would Hmm. never use a needle I would never do these things right. right um but when it came down to it I was open to it And, um, especially when you're physically dependent on something and you know that it will make the pain go away, you become a lot more open to, to that, unfortunately. So the first time that I ever used heroin, I did, um, actually I did use, use it by IV. Um, and I loved it. From that point forward, my life really 
just got very crazy, very not who I, like I started to become a person that I wasn't, that I didn't identify with, you know, it's like, wait, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. Um, but I just, at that point I was really stuck. (laughs) I was really stuck. Cause then I'm in this relationship that is toxic and I kind of knew that, you know, but I just wanted to be with him and, and whatever. Um, and then, you know, the (laughs) feelings of, wanting to get out and not knowing how I just was able to numb with a drug. So it was just this perpetual pattern and, you know, cycle. Yep. Insanity really doing the same thing over and over, um, wanting a different result. So, um, I had aspirations to be a nurse. And at this point, Um, I was unfortunately so codependent upon Travis that my decisions that I made for my life were no longer with me first in mind. Um, I definitely wasn't at a place to ask God what he wanted for my life. And I definitely couldn't even do what it was, what was best for my life, you know? And so, um, I based a lot of my decisions on what he was doing and, and, you know, I didn't want to miss out on that. And I I don't know. So, um, unfortunately I did not go to, um, nursing school like I had planned. Um, I dropped out because I couldn't, I couldn't, I was just never at class. Um, and so, and I just wanted to not be questioned about things. I didn't want to be questioned about Travis and told how bad he was for me. And so I ended up moving out um, got an apartment. It, it was, it lasted for a little bit, but, um, eventually it fell apart just like everything always did. Um, and I wasn't able to really, uh, keep going and, you know, with the way that I was using, I couldn't pay for my bills and all of this. So then Travis got arrested again. He, um, ended up going to jail. I was able to kind of clean my life up a little bit, um, and not use as much. I tried to go back to LPN school where I did make it for a little while. Um, but despite the fact that Travis was away, I, I had stopped using heroin, but uh, I would do it a couple times, and actually, one of the times that I uh, tried to go back, I overdosed. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up um, was with a friend. I remember doing some more, coming back, waking up to um, a fire, you know, a fire department guy knocking on my passenger side window. Nobody was in the driver's seat. This guy had driven me up to McDonald's, left me in the passenger seat and called 911. He didn't want to be in trouble, but I clearly had, you know, overdose. I was not responsive at all. And I knew, I just knew I was going to get arrested that night because I had, I had drugs on me in my wallet and they were asking for my ID and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And they were going through my stuff and first of all, the fact that I didn't die was the grace of God. Second of all, the fact that I didn't go to jail was the right. grace of God. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do remember this moment a lot because I uh, remember being at the hospital and I had no one to call. Like they took me to the mm-hmm. hospital to kind of get me back stable again and give me Narcan and whatnot. But I just remember thinking like, this is horrible. Like I can't call anybody. I can't call my parents because I don't want them to know. Um, all these so-called friends are not friends because like mm-hmm. nobody cares. Travis, I don't even know where mm-hmm. he was. Like, isolation yeah, this. yeah. And it really showed me a lot in that moment. Um, however, I continue the self-destructive behavior after that. Can, can I ask just one question? Sure. Is heroin the type of drug like, I mean, this is like pain pills and things like that nature. Once your body, is it a drug that you can grow a tolerance to so yes. that you have to have more and more and more to, to reap that same level of high that you probably can never achieve again because they always say like the first hit the, the greatest right that and is true and you're just trying to just with every attempt you're just trying to reach that I don't want to use the word climax, but that, that, that high, that place. That yeah. Place. Yeah. And that is true. Um, the tolerance grows and, uh, yeah, you can never get the same effects as you did the very first time. Mm. Um, and 
but what kind of hooks you in, and this is the way that the enemy does it, you, you can't operate apart from it because Mm. with heroin, you become violently ill. Like you can't go to work. Like you can't function. It feels like the flu times 10, Mm. um, just very bad side effects. And so you kind of get stuck because of that. Um, so the only way to have a functional life is to continue to use or detox and endure the pain Mm. of, of that. And, um, what I've learned and actually kind of when we went through this, um, talking through it the first time is I am fearful of pain. Mm. I am. And, um, I don't want to feel it. I don't want to confront it. I don't want to, you know, obviously I've learned how to, how to do that. Yeah. Otherwise I would not be, um, praise God, sick, almost six years clean now had I not confronted those things, but I had to get to get to a place where the pain that my addiction was causing in my life, the relational issues, all the pain from all these things, financial problems that it had to become so great where the pain of changing was better than the pain of staying Mm -hmm. the same. And, um, and you know, I hate that I'm so hard headed and I had to let all those things happen to me. Um, but that's where God met me. Um, but we can be stubborn people sometimes. Very, very like the Israelites, you know. <laughs> exactly. Man, I can again. relate to these guys <laughs> for sure. To kind of fast forward, I uh, while Travis was gone, he ended up going to prison because of what he did. But um, I moved to Panama City because I thought my mom had actually remarried, moved to Panama City from Atlanta, and um, I just knew the kind of reputation that I had um, gained by the things that I was doing, and I just wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get out of there and have a different, you know, a better chance somewhere else. Um, and I ended up, uh, talking to my mom about it. She was okay with it. Her and her husband were okay with me coming to Panama city. And so, um, that was uh, Memorial day of 2010 is when I moved to Panama city from Atlanta. Um, I was just desperate really for change. I, I wanted it all that mm-hmm. time really. Yeah. Um, and so this was kind of like my chance, but unfortunately, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. You never deal with the thing that's yeah. causing it. Yeah. It's going to resurface. Yeah. And so it did. Um, it took about six or eight months. Um, and I sought it out myself. Um, it was just pills this time. I never touched heroin after leaving Atlanta, which I'm grateful for, but, um, still just, stuck in that whole pattern of not knowing how to survive and cope with life apart from these things that I could use to numb whatever. Um, so, um, in 2011, um, Travis had gotten out, moved to Panama city to the rescue mission. And I was still living with my mom. Um, I had during that time before he got out, I had gone to first Baptist church in Panama city Um, there's a ministry there called most excellent way. And I got plugged in there. My stepdad is actually the one who knew Rachel. Um, she was over a women's group there and I went and it was literally like I was the only person in the room that the Lord was speaking directly to me. And I knew that he was encouraging me, me to make a choice to stop straddling the fence the way I had done my whole life and stop holding on to the things that I wanted. And I knew a lot of that was my relationship with Travis, but I was not ready. I was not at a place to get that up. I just wanted rid of the drugs. Right. right? So, um, then I became pregnant and that, you know, kept me a little bit longer in the relationship. And so, um, I did, uh, still maintain some use, uh, during the time that I was pregnant and I'm not proud of that, but it is part of my story. And, and God showed himself, uh, very faithful during that mm-hmm. period because I really, uh, it kind of sobered me in a way, um, that made me realize the, the depth of my choices that I was making, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to be free. 
And so I just begged, I prayed over a Caden while I was pregnant and I just begged God to please protect him. Um, as sick as that sounds, and I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, well, why don't you just stop? Well, there are effects that happen in a pregnancy if you just stop opiates like that. A lot of that was I uh, used as a justification. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably could have gone through a detox or some sort of something, um, but um, I did use very little, and it was like more like prescription medication. So, well, I think the struggle that so many people have with addiction—if you've never been through it, if you've never mm-hmm. been—I mean, a lot of people are addicted to caffeine. You know, most Americans are, right? right. Or you're trying to get out of, say, smoking cigarettes or something like that. But if you've never been addicted to something as powerful as what we're talking about here, imagine yourself in a, you're, let's say most you know, adults are over five foot. Imagine yourself in about a, a hole that is about five foot wide mm-hmm. or deep and four foot wide and it's mud and there's it's raining and you know you need to get out of this hole. Right. You know, there's there's no... I can continue to do this and I'm fine with it. The hole is literally filling up with water. You know you can get out right. or you need to get out. But you you, there's, you don't have – it's not about willpower. There's no enough of pulling on the yes. mud mm-hmm. that's going to get you out of that hole. That's true. And I think the deeper that I got into it, the more – aware I got of my situation Mm -hmm. and again being pregnant it was like that experience like you're describing feeling like okay um I gotta do something and this is not fun anymore I'm not just playing in the rain like this is a problem Um, and so I did to start to get there in my pregnancy and that's really where I I felt more stuck than any other time ever. Like, and then I'm stuck in this relationship and I don't know how to get out of that. And both of his parents had died. So I kind of felt, um, sort of responsible in a weird way to him. Like, who's he going to have? I was just stuck in every way. Um, and I laugh because man, just the Lord just hems us in man to where forces us to say, man, I just need you. Mm Um, and and I got to that point for sure. Um, I uh, had a healthy pregnancy. Caden was completely healthy um, after I gave birth. And I praised God for that. I knew it was only God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just super grateful. Um, after I had him, I realized that I couldn't um, keep doing the whole like getting stuff off the street. So I went to the methadone clinic cause I wanted to be responsible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that was the best way I knew how, and it, it's just this me trying to save myself. Yeah. Um, and those were my best efforts. Yeah. And, um, so went to the methadone clinic. I, I just was in bondage, you know, and, and then I became in bondage to this methadone clinic place. and Because these cycles that you're going through, we were not talking about it before, it's like you're going this pattern of every time you try to pull yourself out or Travis would leave the picture, you'd get a little better. Right. Life would improve a little bit. Yep. But then you would find yourself in a deeper hole than the one you started with. So you're trying to pull yourself out of a, out of a deeper hole, which means you're never really gaining ground. Right. You're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And every single time we try to try to pull ourselves out. Right. And so that's, that's, that, that, that is what I witness and <laughs> listening yeah. is what you're doing. You're just trying to, the methadone clinic, whatever it may be, even the, um, what was the, uh, the ministry you went to? Oh, most excellent way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you had this, another encounter with God, where you were feeling him like mm-hmm. grab a hold of you, but that didn't, there was no actual like life change, no, no, no habit change Mm-mm. there. It was just more digging yourself in a hole. Now I will say with most excellent way, man, God planted a major seed. Right. Right. Um, because I did keep going. Um, even after Travis got out and stuff, I would even go and then go get high after mm-hmm. like, yeah. I, because I knew that God was drawing me there but I didn't know how to break this other thing. Kicking and screaming the entire way. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. And then out of my guilt and shame, just, uh, okay, well, I'm never going to be like that. I don't know how to be this church Mm -hmm. person. I don't know how to obey God. I don't know how to get out of this 
stuckness that I'm yeah, in. Yeah. So Brittany, what was the thing then? Like we're talking about these cycles. What was the thing that actually pulled you out of that hole? So it was um, just honestly a place in my life where I had had enough. I realized, I mean, I ended up at the end of this whole thing, this whole pattern that we're talking about, um, evicted from my home. My car was repossessed. My life got so out of control. I was not working anymore. I managed to have a jobs all throughout my addiction, but at this point, I could not function anymore. I lost all hope. I was just like tapped out, if you will. And so as a result of losing all these things, it became evident to me that, okay, this is a problem. Whereas most people would be like, yeah, it's been a problem for Mm -hmm. a long time. But I never got to a place. And I remember my mom telling me about this place called Bethel Village a a few months prior. And I'm like, I don't need a homeless shelter. Okay. Well, yes, I did. (laughs) I got to a place where I needed somewhere to go and I needed help and I needed um, divine intervention. And man, I'm telling you, God did that. It was weird how it all happened because, uh, you know, obviously my family, they kind of got to the point, especially when I, um, lost my house and my car and all the things, um, they were like, we're not doing anything for you. Mm -hmm. And that was the best, best decision that they ever made. And so I know that a lot of parents struggle with, um, wanting to cushion the fall, but don't, if you're a parent and your child is struggling with addiction, do not. And even if they're a little kid, don't cushion their fall Mm -hmm. because, uh, we have to learn that there's consequences for our choices. And I think when I realized what my real consequences were for living this lifestyle for so long, I, I just, I was done. Like, Mm -hmm. this is too much. This is painful and I'm not going to be rescued anymore. Um, and that was where I realized I actually remember before I left the house that I was being evicted from thinking this thought, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I know you will bless my obedience. I know that mm-hmm. he would honor whatever I had decided. And so, um, I was, um, just, I didn't have any other options. And at that point I was willing to let Travis go. Cause like I wasn't about this life anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it became too painful to try to move forward. And so I ended up going to Bethel, like it just all happened so fast. I went to do an application and to tour it. And then the next thing you know, I was in detox for 10 days. And then mm-hmm. I was back at Bethel village and, um, you know, it was hard leaving Caden cause I couldn't bring him with me, but, um, that was the best decision I ever made in my life. And I almost feel like it wasn't even me. It mm-hmm. was like, God just did it. I don't even know how to describe that. I had peace. I wasn't fighting it. I was ready and I wanted it. I knew it was my opportunity. The soul of your heart was ready for. Oh yeah. It was ready. It it was time. And, um, you know, in God's wisdom, he knew, he knew that. So I think he was kind of getting this, uh, the soil of my heart fertile to receive all that I was about to receive there. So, um, I fully rededicated my life back to the Lord. So I went to Bethel in May of 2015. Uh, Yeah, May 1st, 2015. And I rededicated my life fully back to the Lord. I'm talking real surrender, every part of my heart, every thing in my life. Like I gave it to him. Mm -hmm. And that was July of 2015. And that's really where I started to read my Bible and really understand who Jesus was. And I fell in love with him. Um, I think that was the part I was missing before. I never really read my Bible. I didn't really, I knew Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I didn't really love him. Yeah. Yeah, Like, and I actually kind of thought something was wrong with me. Like, why do, why do all these other people love Jesus? But like, like now's cool. Thanks for (laughs) heaven. I mean, that's horrible, but yeah. Um, but then I started to understand and like all that Awanas came Mm. back and all the things that I remembered from my um, my youth, you know, I, I was like, wow, this is crazy. It's coming full circle. And, uh, I finished the program. Uh, God restored everything back to me that I lost. Um, Travis was, I already knew that I could not, uh, entertain a relationship with him. God already told me that I had to let him go. 
And I knew that, you know, and um, that was a very hard process, but God was with me every step of the way, even confirmed it when I would question it. Mm. Um, And um, he just really taught me how to be a person because I really didn't know. I mean, like I'm talking finances and a functional adult. Right. And then how to be a single mom, like that terrified me. Like, okay, I got to stay sober. I'm doing this church thing. Like, you know, but I just clung to Jesus because Mm -hmm. that was my, that's all I knew how to do, you know? And, um, fear can can be a healthy motivator. Yeah, it can. And and, and not just fear of like the unknown, but fear of the Lord. I mean, that's, that is a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but also the beginning of wisdom. Right. right? And so we don't, you know, never shy away from healthy fear. Yes, I definitely agree. (laughs) I think it's actually what has carried me because I, I know the depth of sin that I can go to. I know what that looks like for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so afraid of going back that, I will do whatever it takes, like whatever God asked me to do. Yeah. I, I'm just going to do it because I don't want to be in a ditch. But one thing I don't want, I want, I want to draw back on because you said it earlier was that the pain that you were afraid of, hmm. how you didn't really detail this, but like how literally painful detox is. So can you maybe shed a little bit of light on how that pain that you were so afraid of, again, is the thing that carried you out? So, um, at the ending of my addiction, um, I stopped going. So a little lesson on the drug thing. Um, I stopped going to the methadone clinic. The methadone clinic is designed to help people come off of heroin or other opiates. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works there. People only just keep their addiction, but it's legal anyways. Um, so I was so sick of being in bondage to that place that I started using, um, methamphetamines to kind of subside the physical withdrawals that I was going through with the opiates. So methadone is the drug that helps you overcome heroin. We'll just use that as an example. Right. But meth, what was the Methamphetamine. Methamphetamine is what we would call when you hear people's slang term. When somebody says, I've done meth. Right. That would be that. Okay. Correct. And um, I think it's just this known thing in the drug world that yeah. meth can help you get off of heroin. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it just helps subside the pain. that, And, you know, we just mask. It. That's just one example of how we mask that's one right. thing. That's to, right. It's like trying to pull you yourself know. out of the hole. Right. Yeah, right. But I will say... Um, it wasn't as painful as I thought. I think even if I didn't do that, it probably wasn't as painful as I had in my mind for it mm. to be. And at this point, I was so desperate to get out of this rut, this this ditch, really. Mm-hmm. And I want no rut. <laughs> it yeah, was a ditch that's right, that's right. Um, that I was just willing to endure whatever. I mean, I was willing to endure getting, you know, leaving Travis. I was willing to mm-hmm. endure whatever it took. And I think in the light of realizing Christ's suffering for me, it's like, Wow, uh, I can't do some hard things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he died for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in light of that idea, um, it really just helped motivate yeah. me to move forward and confront all the things that I'd been um, pushing down or numbing out. That's good because I was thinking about the scars that we leave behind, mm-hmm. you know, in our own bodies or on other people yeah. from the decisions that we've made. And then I was thinking, well, what are the scars that Jesus holds yeah. to this day, you right. know, for those same things? And, um, you know, that's powerful yeah, to think is. about that, you know, our pain and our suffering, all the things that we've gone, gone through, he, he bore that for us. Right. right. And so we can live a life of freedom, but yet, you know, just listen to you talk about your story and just all the different moments where you could have, you know, I said it earlier, you're in a hole and you can't get out. The only way for you to get out of that hole is for Jesus to jump in there with you. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he met me, man. <laughs> That's right. He really and he'll did. lift you out of that hole because you can't do it yourself. Right. He's the only one powerful enough to actually pull you out. And we were talking about this. We, we always get together and, and get the story before we record. And I was asking questions like, man, how, how do non-Christians effectively... Mm-hmm. Um, overcome drug addiction. And I was listening to a podcast, um, Dak Shepard. Oh, yeah. He has a podcast and he was talking, he had a guy on that was both, they both struggled with addiction and I listened to them talking. They've been, he, he has, he's had some rebounds, but like relapses and I heard them talking and it's just white knuckled. Yeah. Like, like it's a, 
horrible. Yeah, it's it. There's 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 got to no, fight every day to stay clean. Exactly. There's no real freedom. There's no freedom. Their 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 greatest thing is fear, but it's not a healthy fear. Mm-hmm. And I was just broken just listening to those guys talk about how they're able to achieve. And they seem happy. Of course, they're millionaires because they're you know celebrities. But it probably doesn't help. Right. But I was just thinking like, without Christ, where is our hope? Man. And it's only finding ourselves, which is a disaster. Futile. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> For sure. It's incredible what, what God has taken you from and, and, and is leading you out of. But where do you see where do you see God leading you to? Like where where do you see your future, whether it be in ministry mm-hmm. or like where do you th- where do you see God taking you? Well, um, I have a desire to, you know, because of the experience that I got after rehab, I ended up, um, being a case manager at that same place. Mm. Um, I tried to work in the secular, um, arena, you know, at at a doctor's office and Mm -hmm. I just, man, I just wanted to be with my people. I prayed for ministry. God brought me back there, um, to, you know, basically shepherd these other women and use my experience and use everything that God had taught me. Uh, through his word and through my experience mm-hmm. and all of that to um, pull out a gifting in me. I believe that, you know, God's really gifted me with the abil- ability to counsel. Mm. Um, and so that's something that I want to do um, after um, last year, you know, with COVID and all that, um, God made a way and saw fit at that time to pull me away from Panama City, away from that job to be closer to my then fiance, Mm -hmm. now husband, Kyle. Um, and God really worked miracles in that whole situation through the dating and, um, you know, praying to find out what God, God's will was. But, um, I'm grateful God gave me a husband. I prayed for a number of years for, uh, for him, Mm -hmm. um, being a single mom is hard. And, you know, every, I think every person has a desire for family and especially a woman. Um, and, um, so God has restored, not necessarily restored, but has blessed me with a marriage and um, a family. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys as a church family at Red Hills, I just feel like God's doing something pretty amazing there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just honestly just want to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm working at Teen Challenge now with my husband, um, I'm kind of helping with administrative, which is, okay. I think it's interesting that and God, is, I'm sorry, what is teen challenge? Just cause that's, I know what it is, but right. it's a, such a weird name. They really need to rebrand that. But yeah. yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Is, what is teen challenge? <laughs> so teen challenge is a uh, recovery program, pretty similar to, uh, what I was familiar with and what I went through, but it's a 12 month, uh, recovery program for drugs and alcohol. Um, it's not for teens. It's for, not for te- it can teens. Be teens, but it right. can it can be. But yeah, we have too, right? right. We have a, uh, adolescent centers, but the one here in Tallahassee is for men and adult men. Oh, yeah, several yeah. several of the Teen Challenge guys um, they'll serve at Red Hills. Yep, they've got several um, who attend weekly services. Yeah, so, they're starting to get involved. Yeah, yeah. So you may, people who are listening to this, if you're part of Red Hills, you may not even know that you've got people coming to our church who. Are in similar places that you were not yep. not that long ago, right? You know, not that long ago, and they're they're looking for God, and um, so yeah, they don't even know. So go ahead, yeah, you're uh, you're at Teen Challenge. So um, I'm there now, and it's interesting the way that you know God had me a part of doing the counseling and the program because I was a program manager um, on top of like shepherding these women, um, learning all of that, and now He's got me. I'm doing accounting and administration and I'm like, okay, what are you up to? Mm, So I have always really since being clean and, you know, experiencing, um, the life in addiction ministry or really just helping people to be discipled. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter really where they come from. We all need Jesus and we all need to, you know, we need someone to disciple us and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, be an example. And so, that's really kind of my desire is to do some sort of transitional home, something for women um, that just need, they need the extra love and support mm. and um, example and, mm. you know, so essentially a discipleship program. Mm. And I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Um, 
it's different now that I have a family. So I don't know. I know that that is a priority, you know, as well, but I'm just open to whatever God wants to do. I'm excited about my future. I'm so grateful um, that God has put me in a position to be able to minister back to these people that are really broken because, um, I mean, I just see so much um, fruit from um, from it. And yeah, yeah. so I actually had a girl text me today um, that I, she was under, under me at um, Bethel and uh, she has done amazing and is clean. She has her own place and she actually just went to court and got her kids back full custody today. Yeah. So it's just really amazing. Just getting to be a part of that and knowing that I was a small piece. Um, So well, Brittany, thank you for so much for being um, vulnerable and showing, you know, telling your story. And I know it's hard, you yeah. know. Um, you never know what who are, who's, who's listening and how people are going to think about us. But when, when we give God the glory, you know, and we see what God has done in our lives, um, all we can do is just praise Him yeah. and give Him the glory and just say, you know, this is who I was doesn't define me who I am today. Right. It doesn't define who I'm going to be in the future. It's part of my life. I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. But at the same time, um, and, you, and you, you probably agree with this, If it's almost like if I hadn't gone, if you hadn't gone through that stuff, would you be the same person that you are, as strong um, as you are today? Not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. And so sometimes we can look back in our past and be ashamed of our past sin or the thing, our mistakes. And it's like, man, Paul constantly draws back on his lineage and draws back on his persecution and the things that he right. did. And you can tell it was bothering him. Like it, it was something that he was, he was, he felt conviction over. But at the same time, he knew that through that, mm-hmm. God was going to make him, the, you know, the apostle for the, for the, for the Gentiles and, and send forth the gospel. And I think he does that in our lives as well. Like yeah. he uses that stuff and it's hard, and we don't like it, and it's not. It's painful, right? But man, he crafts up, crafts us. He shapes us, and he molds us into him is his image. Mm-hmm. And then, man, like then we're just glorifying him through that. That's so. right, because there's no other answer but no. God. That's right. God did it. God changed me. That's God right. transformed. I mean, and not just me. You know, God. Yeah. God does that. And yeah. um, so, if you're listening, and you're struggling with addiction, there is there is hope. And if you need to, you can reach out to Red Hills or you can reach out to Teen Challenge. If you're, if you feel stuck, I trust those, those guys, Kyle works there, you work there. I trust what they're doing. Um, if you feel like you're stuck in a place where you have no hope, um, one, there is hope. Jesus is hope. But there's a, there, there are, there are opportunities out there for you to get that assistance and to be able to get the help that you need to put you on the right path. So if you're listening, please do that or reach out to us and we'll get you, we'll get you hooked up. So again, thank you, Brittany. Thank you for everything. Um, thank you for I having love your me. story and I love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Amen.